0: As we begin this morning, I want to take just a moment or two or three moments to talk about Advent. If you have been with us the last four weeks, each of those four weeks, there's been a time in our service that has been devoted uh, particularly to Advent and the season that we're in. And I just want to say at the beginning, uh, if you've been with us through that, you know, one of the challenges that we've issued through this or one of the charges that we have issued through this is to look beyond the manger. Don't leave baby Jesus in the manger. We should be focusing on the fact that he is going to come back again. Now, we're going to be lighting the fourth candle this morning. And then tonight, I hope that you've made plans already to come to our candlelight communion service tonight. We'll be lighting the fifth candle tonight that's referred to as the Christ candle. But just a little quick refresher on what each of the candles represent so far. So in week one, that candle represented hope. And we talked about the fact that through Jesus we can indeed, and we do, have hope in and through Jesus. Now the second candle, week number two, it represented preparation. And we talked about the fact that prophets foretold the birth of Jesus many years before it actually happened. Those prophets were trying to prepare the generations in the future for what was going to happen. And then, many years later, we talked about the fact that John the Baptist prepared the way physically for the earthly ministry of Jesus. And then we talked about the fact that we've got a responsibility to prepare the world. Me as a Christian, you as a Christian, us as a church, we've got the responsibility to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus And then I ask us each to think about, and I'm going to ask us to do it again this morning. What are we doing? What are we doing personally to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus? What are we doing as a church to prepare the world for that? Last week's candle was the pink one, or the rose-colored one, and it represented joy. And we talked about the fact that even in the midst of situations like a tornado that we do not understand, that our minds just simply will not wrap around why that happened, we talked about even in the midst of something like that, we can indeed have joy. Now this morning's candle, the fourth one, it's representing love. And I'm going to be reading a very familiar passage of scripture as we light this candle this morning. It's John 3 beginning in verse 16. And I want to—I just want to ask you, if you're able to stand this morning, would you stand with me right now just to honor the reading of God's Word through this passage of Scripture? God's Word tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. As we light this candle this morning, may it remind us of the great amount of love that God had for us when he sent his son to the cross to die for us. And may we show that love to a lost and dying world who is watching. You may be seated. Now, as you might expect, since this is the Sunday prior to Christmas, you are going to be hearing a traditional Christmas message this morning. Um, The last two weeks, this makes the three weeks in a row, we have been preaching through the Gospels, looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and next week will be John, um, to see what does each of those texts tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in Luke. As you'll see on the screen, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and also Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And I look back and found out that last year, on this very Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, I also preached that Sunday. I did not preach this text, but I did preach the Christmas story. And I remember sharing one thing with you last year on this particular Sunday. It's a fear that I have any time that I preach a text that's really, really familiar. Sometimes I believe that as soon as we hear the first two or three words of a text, it, it, it clicks with our mind. Oh, yeah, I've read that many times. I know that story. And if we're not really careful... Our mind will shut down or our mind will wander to other things. And I want to challenge you in the beginning, stay with me this morning, because since the day that I realized I would be preaching on this day, I have been praying specifically for this text that I would be preaching to you this morning, that the Lord would reveal some things that are maybe fresh and new that maybe we haven't considered before in this particular text The title of this morning's sermon is, O Holy Night. And I hope by the time that we leave here this morning that we will indeed realize that it was indeed a holy night. It was one that was divine. It was the night that our Savior was born. Now, one of the things that we have talked about, and I'm going to emphasize it one more time, uh, during the Advent process is that there was preparation that Occurred. We talked just a moment ago that one of the candles that we lit, it actually represents preparation. Keep in mind that the prophets foretold the birth of Jesus years before it happened. And then John the Baptist himself prepared the way physically for the earthly ministry of Jesus. And as we begin to look at this morning's text in chapter 1 verse 26... Those preparations are in full force right now. There's a girl, a young girl named Mary, that's going to be visited by an angel. And that's where we pick up in our text this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now as we begin this morning in this text, it begins with in the sixth month. So maybe you're wondering in the sixth month of what? What does that signify? What it signifies is that we are six months into the pregnancy of Elizabeth. And you can read all about that in the earlier verses in Luke chapter 1. But as our text begins today, we see that this angel Gabriel appears to a virgin named Mary. And then we see in the text that Mary just happened to be betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now sometimes since our society is different today, we don't, when we read something like that, we really don't get the significance of it. But can I just tell you, the betrothal process was really Serious. It was a very, very big deal. It was a ceremony that was conducted before witnesses, and guess what? At the end of that ceremony, the the couple, they were considered legally married. At the end of that particular ceremony, the man had legal responsibility for his bride. However, a big difference between that in marriages today is that after that ceremony there was a period of time that they did not live together nor did they sleep together this particular process is very very serious just to help our minds wrap around that i want us to go quickly to deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 23 and 24 God's word tells us there, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. I hope that helps us to see. This is a serious, serious process. I want you to keep that in mind as we proceed further into today's text. When it talks about Mary is in this betrothal process, it is a big, big deal. And this angel appears to her, verse 28, and he came to her and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, at this point, I want to ask for some help from two people in the audience today. I'd like to ask Ava Kate Sprayles to come up and stand with me on the stage for just a minute and also Whitley Bonta if you'll come forward. Thank you all for participating this morning. I'm not going to ask you anything at all difficult, but sometimes I think it helps to have a visual. In the day and time of this text that we're reading, when a woman went through that betrothal process, they were typically between the ages of 12 and 14. Ava Kate, will you tell us how old you're going to be when you have your next birthday in March? She's going to be 12. And Whitley, how old are you right now? She's 14. So I want you to keep that in mind as we read this text. Mary is likely in the age range between Ava Kate and Whitley. Is that not remarkable? Is that not remarkable? Thank you all very much. You You can be seated. But I hope, I hope that helps to give us a picture of how remarkable that all of this is. In verse 29, we see that Mary shares that, it's documented, Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that this might be. And I just want to share something this just this morning really quickly, that I have seen circulating in social media this particular Christmas season. And, you know, I I try to stay away from arguments on social media because, in general, they do no good. Even if you're right, even if you share your opinion, you're probably going to be attacked most of the time in social media. But I started seeing a few weeks ago a lot of criticism about the song that was originally released in 1991 that's called Mary, Did You Know? People are saying all kinds of things about it. We've sang it right here in this church. I've seen the responses are everything from, well, of course she knew. Gabriel told her. To, I saw one pastor post that he had shared with his worship team that they were to tell him if they planned to sing that song because he was not going to enter the sanctuary until they had finished singing the song. Now again, I want you to keep in mind that Mary was likely between the ages of 12 and 14 years old when Gabriel appeared to us. Was she obedient? Absolutely she was. Was she willing? Absolutely she was. Did she fully grasp that that baby that was inside her was going to cause dead people to live again? Probably not. Probably not at that moment did she fully grasp that. Did she fully grasp that that baby that was growing inside of her was going to cause blinded eyes to open? Because people whose mouths would not open to speak again. Did she realize that her baby was going to be able to walk on water? I doubt it at 12 years old or 14 years old. I think she could have likely been overwhelmed. And I want us to just go for a minute to the disciples who actually walked with Jesus, who did ministry with Jesus, who were taught by Jesus, who Jesus told them everything that was going to happen to Him. And where were they when the crucifixion actually happened? When things actually started getting serious, they disappeared And then when he appeared to them again, they were so shocked that what he had shared with them was actually true. So is it fair for us to think that Mary completely understood everything that the angel Gabriel shared with her? My opinion is no. Again, was she willing to be a part of the divine plan? Absolutely. Was she obedient? Absolutely. Did she know every last thing that he would do? I don't think so. I really don't think so. And if you'd like to talk more about that, I would be glad to to have that conversation. But we see this dialogue continue between Gabriel and Mary, and he says, "Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, Mary's completely willing. But I would say she's having a hard time processing this at this particular moment. If you're following along in your Bible, and I hope you are, the next section of verses verses 47 through 55 It's a praise that Mary has and it starts with, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now for the sake of time this morning, we cannot drill down into each of those verses, but I hope that you will do that at home with your spouse, with your family. We're going to be picking up in verse, in chapter two now, verses one, uh, excuse me, 34 and forward. I think I've got a slide behind. Let me, let me read this slide to you. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the, ans- the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And then, and behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her. For who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. I believe Mary needed to hear that at that point. You know, as she's asking these questions, how will this be? How can this take place? I think she needed to hear that statement for nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe we need to hear it this morning. Maybe you're in the midst of a battle that you don't understand. Maybe you need to hear the word of the Lord this morning, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, Behold, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now as we pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 forward this morning. I want you to imagine Mary very pregnant right now. We're going to see here in just a moment, Joseph is going to enter the scene. And I want you to remember the betrothal process that we talked about just a few minutes ago. Because the text tells us in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now I want us to imagine for just a moment how difficult this would be if it were today. What if there was some type of order that was issued that said all of us, every one of us that live in the United States of America... No matter where you live, every one of us has to go back to our hometown to register. Now, you know, for the ones of us that are natives to Greensburg and Greene County, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal to us. But, you know, keep in mind, we're not going to be able to do it online. We can't do it by mail. We can't do it over the phone. We physically got to go. Well, you know, from where we are right now, we could walk to the courthouse if we needed to. If we needed to, we could. We're close enough to it that we could. You know, but when we apply that reasoning to the text that we're examining today, those people couldn't jump in a car and go. They had to walk or they had to use whatever mode of transportation that they had, which pretty much at best was some form of an animal to ride on. How inconvenient would that be? How would we take that if if we had to physically go somewhere to be registered? Keep in mind, Mary is betrothed, she's pregnant, and they set out to be registered. Verses 4 through 7, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. Again, remember, That in this particular situation, Joseph and Mary could have both been stoned to death. Because she was very pregnant at this point. There was no way to hide that. But yet, they were doing their part to go through with this registration process. And look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her To give birth. Can you just imagine that maybe going through their mind is what else will happen? What else will happen? Again, remember Mary likely between 12 and 14. Or maybe if she was 14 when the angel appeared to her, maybe she's closer to 15 now. But can you imagine the thoughts that were going through her mind as she had that first labor pain? As she prepared and she knew she was going to have to give birth away from her mother, away from her friends, away from basically anybody that could help her. And then look at that last verse that's on the screen right now. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, if we're not really careful as we read this text, we'll give the innkeeper a very hard time, won't we? We might even ask questions about why wasn't there room in the inn? Why did he not let them in? Well, you know, imagine it this way. I I truly believe that when it says there was no place for them in the inn. I believe the inn was full likely of paying customers. What was he supposed to do? really? What was he supposed to do? Imagine that tonight you have a hotel reservation somewhere you are you have checked in, you have paid for your room, you are in your bed asleep, and suddenly a knock is comes on your door and you get up and go to the door and it's the hotel manager and he says, "I'm sorry." I need you to get out right now. I've got somebody else that needs your room. How would we take that? Really, seriously, how would we take that? I believe that's the situation that that innkeeper was in. What was he supposed to do? It's easy for us to say he didn't have room in his heart for Jesus. I wonder sometimes, do we? Do we have room in our hearts for Jesus? And then the time came for her to give birth. Because there was no place for them in the inn, we all know this story. Jesus was born, in a, in pro- likely in a stable, but he was laid in a manger. Now, I've heard people argue effectively on both sides. Some people believe that it was a nasty, nasty environment, that it was smelly. It might have been. I can't tell you that it wasn't. There are other people that believe that there was fresh straw in that manger, that the place had been cleaned up, that it was warm and that it was cozy and that the animals that were there were not stinky. might have been. I can't tell you that it wasn't. But what I can suspect is I doubt that there's any woman here this morning that would choose to give birth in that environment even if it was the latter of the two. But yet that is where the Savior of the world was born. And we might find ourselves asking ourselves the question, why? Why was the Savior of the world born in that environment? And here's the answer, because it was God's plan. That's exactly where He was supposed to be born. And I want you to keep that in mind as we proceed further in the text. So we go from that stable with Jesus laying in the manger... And we go to a field where shepherds are. The text, if you're reading along, and I hope you are on the screen this morning or in your Bible because there's no way I can read every word of Scripture this morning. But we go from that birthplace. Remember, Jesus was born to lowly parents. His birth physically occurred in a lowly place. And now we have the official birth announcement that is given by angels. And who is it given to? To shepherds who are out tending their flocks at night in the field. Why was it like that? Why was it like that? Remember, we're talking about a holy night this morning. Oh, holy night. And at that particular point in time, shepherding was an absolutely despised occupation. So why were these men the first people to get the official birth announcement? And look, that announcement was they were bringing good news of great joy that will be for all people. So why was it? That the shepherds were the first to get that news. Well, I want you to just to imagine with me for just a moment. What if Jesus had been born into royalty? What if he had been born in the very best of environments? In the very best of circumstances? What if he was born in a palace? Instead of a stable. What if the first people. That that birth announcement was delivered to. Was not shepherds. What if it had been the most elite of the elite. You know if it had been that way. It would probably have been hard for me to believe. That it was really good news of great joy for all of the people. Do you follow me this morning? Jesus was born to lowly parents in a lowly place and the first people that got the news of it were lowly shepherds. Do you see a pattern developing here? It truly is good news of great joy for all the people. Remember, one of the candles in our Advent wreath signifies joy. I wonder, do we have that joy this morning? You know, when I was a child, we used to sing this song it said something like this, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I want to ask us this morning, do we? Do we? That, that joy that we sang about as a child, That joy that we said was down in our heart to stay. Is it? Is it there? If it is, it will impact how we basically live our lives. How we have conversations. How we minister to people. It will impact us. If that joy is truly in our hearts. I wonder, do we have that this morning? The baby... The baby that is described here in verse twelve, for you, and, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you: you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's God. That baby is God. With all. Power and all authority under heaven. I wonder this morning, do you know him today? Have you bowed in obedience to him? And then it just keeps getting More interesting and suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Maybe you could think of this verse or these two verses in this way. A choir of angels, they burst on the scene. Can you imagine what that praise sounded like? And probably the answer is, no, we can't. We can try to imagine what it sounded like, how beautiful it was, but I'm not sure our earthly minds can truly grasp that. But they were praising God. It was a joyful moment. Remember, it was good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And it was to be for all the people. So guess what happened? The angels left. The angels didn't stay forever. The angels came in. They issued an announcement. They issued an invitation. But now the, the shepherds would have to decide. They would have to make a decision what they were going to do. Would they go? Would they go? It's night. Remember, they're out in the field in, watching their flocks by night. Would they think it's too dangerous? Would they think it would be safer if they wait until daylight? But look what the, the text tells us. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Again, they had to make a decision. They made a decision. And you know, as I was studying for this sermon, the Lord allowed me to reflect on something that my friend Ray Akre shared with me shortly after I came here in, in 2012. One day we were talking, that was while obviously he was still here. He and Marion were both still here then. And one day we were talking and he shared this with me and I had never forgotten it. He said, brother Todd, you need to remember that during the invitation, people always make decisions. They either make the decision to come forward or they make the decision to stay in their seat. But a decision is made. And he told me that day, we need to pray that they'll make the right decision. You know, I have never forgotten that. And so these shepherds, they had to make a decision. And it said they went with haste. And, and a lot of times you'll probably notice when I issue an invitation, I'll say something like, come now, don't wait. Because if God's knocking on your heart and you think, I'm going to wait to the next verse, you probably won't come at all. If God's knocking on your heart, come right now, don't wait for the invitation. Come now. So they went and look in verse 17 through 20. And when, excuse me, just a moment, when they saw it, they made known, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard. And seen. And you know one thing that I want to point out in verse 17. I verse 17 is a beautiful verse to me. And maybe it's never really jumped out at you before. And when they saw it, they made known the scene that had been told them concerning this child. And why I think one reason that this is so beautiful to me is that for the last several weeks. The Wednesday nights that I preach, we've been taking a journey through the book of John. And we're still going to be in the book of John on the Wednesday nights that I preach. Maybe even through next year. It's taking a long time to progress through that. But a few weeks ago, we met the Samaritan woman at the well. You know this story. She came with her water jar to draw the water Jesus met her at the well. Jesus met her at the well. He told her who she was, what she had done. He got her attention. And then you know what Jesus did? He gave her an offer of living water. She could take that water, and he said she would never thirst again. So that woman, she left her water jar at the well. And she went into town and she told them about Jesus. And then she issued a very simple invitation. It was come and see. And guess what? The people came. The people saw Jesus. And it reminds me of verse 17. The angel appeared to these shepherds. The angel issued the invitation. For them to go see Jesus. They went. They went to see Jesus. And when they saw Him, what did they do? They went and told it on the mountain. Just like the song that we sing. And just like they did that, years later the Samaritan woman, she came and saw, she went and told. She gave the invitation to come and see We've got to do the same thing. If it is truly good news of great joy that is for all the people, we have got to do the same thing. I wonder this morning, will we go and tell? Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered. Probably we would understand this verse better instead of wondered if it said we're amazed. And all of them who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. Verse 19, but Mary, she pondered up all these things in her heart. You see, Mary had been amazed for about nine months now. And I think her mind was trying to remember it all, to store it in her heart. You see, she, she realized it was a holy night. She realized that it was a night that was divine. And then in verse 20, And the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, I've got a question for you. Do we know the names of the shepherds? We don't, do we? We don't know the name of one of those shepherds. Is there any other passage or verse in the entire Bible that talks about those shepherds in anything other than the Christmas story. To my knowledge, there's not. But we're still talking about them today, aren't we? We don't know their names. As far as we know, they didn't become famous. I don't think they went back to their field and became instant celebrities because they had been the first ones to receive this news of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We don't even know their names, but we're still talking about them. And I want to use that to encourage you this morning. Maybe you think what you do doesn't make a difference. Maybe you think that nobody would even notice if you weren't here. Somebody would notice. Even if earthly eyes don't happen to notice, guess who sees? Jesus sees. Jesus knows so if you serve, whether you are behind the scenes or in front of the scenes, keep serving. Stay in the Word. Learn everything you can about God's Word and serve. Press on till the day that God calls you home. I want to remind you again, we know nothing about the shepherds after this. But God, they were used by God on that holy night. On that night that was divine. So I wonder this morning, as we prepare to close, I just wanna, I wanna go back to the topic of joy. Do we have that joy in our heart this morning? That same joy that probably most of us sang about as a child, just like I did a few minutes ago. Is that joy? Is it down deep in your heart? For some of you, maybe you need to Figure out how to get that joy out. Maybe it is down low and you don't feel joyful this morning. You know, God's Word tells us the joy of the Lord is my strength. Maybe you need to proclaim that this morning. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Perhaps for other people this morning, you truly don't have that joy in your heart. Maybe you have never asked Jesus, to be your Lord and Savior. And as I always try to do when I preach, I want you to know exactly, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know exactly how it happens. First of all, you're going to feel a tugging or a pulling on your heart. You're going to know that something is wrong with your life. You're going to know That if you were to die today, that you're not going to spend eternity with Jesus. If that's you this morning, if the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart, you've got to let Him in. Please let Him in. And you do that by admitting that you're a sinner, by admitting that there are things in your heart that don't please God. And guess what? The Bible, God's Word calls those things sin. God is not pleased with any sin in our heart. So if it's there this morning, it's a problem. It's a problem. Now, do we as Christians, do we live perfect lives? No, we don't. But we need Jesus daily. We need to rely on Him daily. If we're truly a Christian, we will not be comfortable continuing to live a life of sin, of intentional sin. And then the B of the ABCs, it stands for we've got to believe that Jesus is God's son. This little baby that we have been talking about this morning that was born in the stable, we've got to believe that he truly is God's son, that his birth happened exactly like the scriptures tell us that it did, that he grew. And he became a man. He had an earthly ministry. And then he loved us so much that he was willing to die for our sins on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day. That's why we celebrate Easter. And in the sea is to confess. And that includes repenting and turning. From our life of sin. I wonder this morning. Do you know him? If the answer to that is no. You can can imagine what a holy night that was. That we've been talking about this morning. But you won't experience it. I wonder this morning. Is Jesus in your heart? If he is not. I would love to talk to you this morning. Would you pray with me please? Father thank you. For your word. Father, thank you. Just for knowing. That, you're, that you are good news. Of great joy. That is for all people. Father, I thank you. For Mary's obedience. For Joseph's obedience in the midst of a situation that their minds probably could not completely understand. Father, I thank you just for allowing us to be able to read the Christmas story this morning and to realize that it is indeed true. Father, I pray that our minds will comprehend that it truly was a holy night, that it was one that was completely divine. Father, I pray right now, if there is a person in this place that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you will knock loudly on the door of their heart this morning. And I pray that just as the shepherds displayed urgency in coming to you, I pray that there will be an urgency in this place this morning. Father, perhaps, For some people this morning, that urgency is one to come and confess sins to you. Father, I pray that that will happen this morning. I pray that, again, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that this will be the day that people will be saved. Father, for what you will do in this place today, we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.